0: Father God, we thank you so much for um, teaching us and giving us resources and giving us your word to tell us what your story is for the world and for history, God. And I pray that you would use the next few moments that we have together to learn more about it. And I pray that um, it would be more than just verses and more than just uh, doctrine, but that it would set our hearts on fire. So, God, we ask that you do that, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so this is part two of our class on theology of missions. So, normally, if you ever hear about missions, it's it's more like this is how, um, this is is what missions is about, and this is how you do missions. So, we're approaching it from a different angle. So, there's a few types of different theology there's a historical theology, Um, there is systematic theology. And then uh, there's biblical theology. So hi- historical theology, we're not going to focus on that, but that is basically um, how how theology was shaped. Who were the, the people post Bible times who formulated what we believe? There's systematic theology where you take a certain um, uh, subject and then you. <laughs> Uh, you look at what all the Bible has to say about it, and you come up with, this is this is this doctrine. Um, and this is how a lot of people, they look at missions. So, missions is, they say, oh, okay, this is what the Bible has to say about missions, and uh, they might say, it starts with the Great Commission. It starts with Jesus leaving the earth and telling his, his people, um, go and make disciples of all nations, of all people. Um, that's normally how we think about missions, but then, What we've been doing last week and this week is we're going to look at the missions from a biblical theology standpoint. And what that means is we look at what the Bible has to say from Genesis to Revelation, and what is the story of missions. So this is what we've been pushing uh, last week and this week, and um, this is a book I've been using as a resource. It's called The Mission of God, and uh, its subtitle is Unlocking the Bible's Grand Narrative. So it's not simply what does the Bible have to say about missions. But what is the whole story of missions from Genesis to Revelation? What does the whole Bible have to say about it? So I'll, uh, I can, I don't know, I'll just leave it there if you guys want to pass it around. It's like this huge hulking book. And my uh, my goal was to summarize that 585-page book in two lessons, but it's not going to happen. So oh, yeah. I'm kind of picking and choosing. And um, so last week what we did was we looked at how, uh, where missions began uh, or, or uh, more more specifically what does missions look like in the Old Testament and today we're gonna kind of re- do a little bit of review and then we're also going to look at what does the New Testament have to say about missions and in light of the Old Testament what is what's being communicated and then we'll look at how um, is there something that's Is there a role that Israel played that the church also plays? And then uh, if we have time, we'll talk a little bit about maybe the practicalities of missions. And um, if you guys have any comments or questions, you can do that. All right. So uh, with our first point, I'm going to have someone turn to their Bibles. Um, Can I have someone turn to Genesis 12? The first person to get there, let me know. And I'll ask you to read three verses from there. Genesis 12. So while you're uh, looking for that... (coughs) Um, let me give you the backstory. So, in Genesis 1, God creates man. This is the beginning of history as we know it. And um, we get to the Tower of Babel. And the Tower of Babel is where all the people of earth, they, they come together and they say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to build a tower that reaches to heaven. And they try to um, work and they try to live independent of God. So they say they're going to come together. But at the Tower of Babel, what does God do? Instead of the people coming together for one singular enterprise, God scatters them. So, here's the people. Their goal is to be become one people, right? They want to do uh, something together. Um, and then God, he disperses these people by giving them different languages. So, they all disperse. They're all gathered. So, this is... Something is happening here, and this sets the stage for Genesis 12. So, whoever, who has Genesis 12? Who would like to read that? Twelve three. Yeah, why don't you go ahead and read that, Tommy. I will bless those who bless you, and him who uh, dishonors you I will curse. And in you all, the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, thanks. So, this is God ta- talking to Abraham. And Abraham, uh, God promises Abraham, um, all the families through you will be, will be blessed. So it's the beginning of the reverse of the Tower of Babel, whereas the people at the Tower of Babel were dispersed and scattered. God says, tells Abraham, um, "I'm going. I'm going to start the process of bringing the people back together as one people." Okay. So um, I call this the beginning of beginnings of God's missionary movement. So this is the original promise to Abraham, Genesis 12, um, 3. and then uh, we see here throughout. Uh, Genesis that the promise is repeated to abraham 's son um, and uh, to Isaac and then to Jacob and uh, God is repeating over and over he 's saying that yes, things have happened, uh, things have gotten screwed up but i 'm going to restore what has happened i 'm going to redeem what has happened, and this is the beginning of missions, so we see the the uh, missions. The, the work of God working amongst the nations, does it begin... We usually think of it as beginning with uh, the Great Commission, right? We think, okay, when Jesus left the earth, he left his followers with a task to spread the gospel, to tell people of his, uh, of his love for them. Um, and we think, okay, this is the beginning of missions. But if we look at missions from a biblical standpoint... It begins at Genesis 12, all right? So, um, any questions, comments? Uh, okay, we'll, we'll look at um, the New Testament understanding of Genesis 12. So, I'm going to have a... Uh, Roxanne, can I have you read <coughs> Acts 15, 1, and then 5 through 9?
1: But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. All right,
0: thank you. So um, the Jews, so the, the early church started with, um, it, it was basically Christianity was a, was a Jewish sect. This is what they were considered as, and the debate that was raging amongst the early church was: um, Do the Gentiles need to be circumcised? Because if you remember, it was who who was circumcised in the Old Testament? Jews. The Jews were circumcised, and this was a sign that they were they belonged to the lineage of Abraham. So Abraham is a. This is who it starts with, Abraham, and the sign of, of being a part of the Abrahamic community <clears throat> was circumcision. And then the, the uh, debate that was going on in the church was that, um, do the people that join the church, do they need to be circumcised? And here are the, uh, here are the, um, the church leader saying, okay, well, actually... Uh, verse eight. There's no distinction between us and them. There's no distinction between the Jews and the new believers, uh, many of whom were Gentiles. So um, they're, they're looking at what they're what they're saying is that it's not merely only the Jews that are the sons of Abraham, but now it's the Gentiles as well. Okay. Uh, and then Paul continues on in Galatians three. I'm going to have Jeff read um, three six through nine and then twenty nine. Oh uh, He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture for saying that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, "And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. According to promise. All right, thank you. Uh, verse eight. What is the gospel? It says the gospel was preached to Abraham beforehand. Uh, in you shall the nations be blessed. So the gospel story begins with God's promise to Abraham. It doesn't begin in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It begins with God's promise to Abraham, and then this is a reiteration of what was uh, what was settled. In Acts 15 which is saying that it's not merely the Jews that are the sons of Abraham but now it's the Gentiles and it's those who have faith in Christ Okay. alright so um, let's look at what Jesus has to say about uh, the work amongst the, the nations uh, I'm sorry uh, the work amongst the Gentiles uh, Lisa I'm going to have you read uh, do you mind reading this long paragraph <laughs> no, alright thanks
1: When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my servant, Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, He marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment.
0: All right. Thank you. This centurion... um, He wasn't Jewish. Guess what he was? Gentile? Gentile? He was a Gentile. He was a Roman soldier. <coughs> and Jesus says uh, these interesting things in this short passage. He says that uh, verse verse 10, no one in Israel have I, sound, have I found such faith. So he's saying amongst the Israelites, amongst... Those who belong to the Abrahamic community, I haven't found such faith as what I've seen in the centurion in this Gentile. He also says he makes this this distinction. He says that there are sons of the kingdom, verse twelve, sons of the kingdom that will be thrown into the, uh, into the utter darkness. So the utter darkness is this place apart from God. It's what we would consider hell. Okay, so we have some implications here um, that faith. So it's the centurion's faith rather than his ethnicity. remember he wasn't Israelite rather than the en- ethnicity is a defining criterion for the membership in the kingdom of God. Um, number two, the uh, great messianic banquet. So in Isaiah 25 it talks about all these all the people of God coming together for this great feast. So at the end of time there's, we're all going to be part of this really amazing feast, this banquet where there's going to be rich food and there's going to be laughter and joy and mirth and merriment and um, the greatest, like way better than like Sizzler or any Vegas mm-hmm. buffet. Um, it's going to be amazing. And the way that the Jews understood it was, okay, it's us, it's the Israelites who will be a part of this banquet. And Jesus says, no, it's going to be all people that are going to be, in, going to be able to enjoy this banquet. So the reference here is a uh, is from Isaiah twenty five. He says, "People from all nations, um, not only the Israel, o- not only Israel, but people from all nations will be able to partake in this incredible banquet." Um, and then texts that were uh, implication number three, texts that were originally in reference to Israelites, um, those that come from the east and the west. This is um, Isaiah forty three, and then also Psalm one of the Psalms um the the uh the original hearers understood this as Israel but then now Jesus is saying this is the gentiles as well they're going to come together from the east and the west and they are going to be a part of the kingdom of god verse 4 Jesus implies that the food laws that marked Israel are abolished so remember the banquet and then back uh, in Jewish uh in the Jewish understanding is if in order for you to remain clean, in order for you to maintain the ethnic distincti- distinctives as an Israelite, you're not to eat with Gentiles. But then Jesus says here, if there are really people from all nations coming together for this great banquet, that means that Asians and um, and Africans and Europeans and um, every type of person, they're going to come together along with the Jew. And then... Jesus says this is completely okay. So this is the abolishment of any type of um, of uh, any type of ethnic distinctiveness. Jesus says the implied here is that the food laws that marked the Israelites they are no longer in effect. Okay, questions, comments. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, let's talk about. What the purpose of Israel was The purpose and obligation of Israel And then we'll look at how that compares to the purpose and obligation of the church So, let me uh, backtrack a little bit I'm going to refer to last week's lesson And if you are interested in that, you can go online and listen to it But um, last week's lesson was that Israel served a purpose And that purpose was to be be a uh, a showcase for people to see the work of God. So, when people look at Israel, they see that Israel has been redeemed, that Israel has been rescued, that God has done a mighty work within the nation of Israel. So, here's Israel, the people of God, and then God says that the purpose of Israel is for all the nations, nation one, nation two, two, just all the nations around Israel, they were to put their eyes on Israel <laughs> and when they saw Israel they would say something incredible has happened here they have one God and it, and this was completely uh, a foreign concept to these surrounding nations because um, God would say that God is God alone uh, there is no <coughs> other God whereas all the other nations they had multiple gods they believed in there might be 10 there might be 20 there might be a thousand different gods Israel has one God, and this God crushes every idol. So, Israel is a showcase for the work of God. And the nations were to look at Israel, and they they said, okay, what's going on here? There's something um, that is happening here that we do not understand. There's something very distinctive about the way that they live. Um, Like, they have these weird food laws, and they, uh, they, they can't do certain things, but other things they have to do, and... Uh, it's so foreign to their way of thinking, and this God had a purpose for that. If you if you ever read through Leviticus, there are, there are all these laws, right? And um, people would just scratch their head. They're like, "This is so strange, and I don't get it." But that was to mark Israel. It's it's God saying, "You're going to be different from these other nations." So uh, I'm going to have. Uh Harry. Um, okay, the obligation of purpose of Israel. So the first one is to live with ethical distinctiveness and moral excellence. Um, Harry, Deuteronomy four, please. And now, and now, Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Okay. Thanks. So God is telling His people, um, "You're to—I've given you these rules. I've given you these laws to live by, and you're to live by them." Um, and then, Kay, can you look at my brother's sheet and uh, look at Deuteronomy 4:40, please? Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that I may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land of the Lord your God is giving you for all the time. Okay, thanks. And these are just, there's way more verses than these, but I just kind of picked these out as an example. Okay, so um, Israel was to live a life that was in accordance with God's laws, and they were to live in a way that would seem so weird to the other nations. Um, okay, and then um, to be a witness to the nations. Chris, can I have you read? This is uh, Deuteronomy four thirty-one through 35.
1: For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. For ask now of the days that are past which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth. And ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go out and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in (coughs) Egypt before your eyes? To you, it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides Him.
0: Thank you. Uh, if you read that passage, if you look at it, isn't that awesome? God is saying the nations are to look at you, and they're supposed to say, "What and what, what kind of God does Israel have? What kind of God would do the things that He that is done that He's done for Israel?" And God is saying, when people see you. They're supposed to see something amazing. They're supposed to see something that baffles their minds. And God says, you're to be a showcase to these people. You are to be a testimony of the work of God in you. Uh, Joe Lee, I'm going to have you read Exodus 33, 16, please. Exodus 33, all right. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not that your, you're going with us so that we are distinct? And I your people from every other people on the face of the earth. All right, thank you. Exodus thirty-three says that there are a whole bunch of other people on the earth, but then look at the Israelites—they're distinct; they're different from every other people in the on the earth. Um, Neiman, I'm going to have you read Exodus nineteen, please. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for the earth is for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. All right, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What does a priest do? A priest intercedes um, for someone else uh, between them between man and God and there're to be a holy nation. So um, keep just use your like the, the armor or the hand of your mind and just like hold on to that phrase right there. Um, but this is also, God is saying, okay, you are not, you are different from these other nations. You are a holy nation. There is, you're set apart, and you're a kingdom of priests. Everyone in Israel is to be a kingdom, um, a kingdom of priests. Uh, okay, Deuteronomy four, five through eight. Tracy, can I have you read that, please?
1: See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us, whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today?
0: Isn't this passage so awesome? It's, do, you, do you hear what it's saying? It's, it's echoing again what we read earlier is when people look at you, what a great nation. What is going on here? Uh, Tommy, can I have you read Ezekiel 37? Oh, I'm sorry, let me preface this by saying this is the prophet Ezekiel. And um, what happened in, in Ezekiel was that there was um, the glory of God had left the temple. And um, but then something happens again here. So this is Ezekiel speaking in Ezekiel thirty-seven. Go ahead and read that, Tommy. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them. And we will set and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sacrifices. Um, Israel, when my sanctuary is there, miss forevermore. Alright, thank you. We're sanctified. <laughs> Thanks. So, God is saying that's okay, um, the glory of God may have departed, but He's coming back to His people and He's going to dwell with them. The, the dwelling place, uh, this is the temple, is where the, where the presence of God dwelled in the temple. Alright, so hold that in mind. The other thing I want you to hold in mind, especially right now, is there is the um, kingdom of priests. And a holy nation. This is what Israel was to be. So the king of priests and and with with the people also is that God would dwell with these people. So these are the obligations and the purposes of Israel. It wasn't merely to 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 say, okay, God is going to start working with Israel and um, it's going to stay contained in there. But even if you look at the geography of Israel, um, I, I don't know. Like, my geography is really terrible, but then, let's say that this is Israel. Here's Egypt, here's this land here, and here's, like, all these other, like, surrounding lands, and here's this body of water right here, and there's, like, stuff, right? And then Israel, the way that it was set up geographically was that the other nations, like, they would... it it was The stage was set for other nations to see what was going on in Israel. So even geographically, it's pretty neat how... All this stuff works out, but um, the the purpose, the oblig- Israel was to live in a way that was different from every other nation. People were to see, look at Israel, and say, "There is something that I cannot explain in that land." When they look at this crazy little place right here, Israel, and God has a purpose for Israel. God intentionally found these people. He rescued them. And he says in the Old Testament, he says over and over and over, why did God rescue Israel? Was it for the sake of Israel? No, it was for, he says, for his name's sake. He says for his glory. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing in Israel. Okay, um, so keep that in mind as we look at the obligation and the purpose of the church. Um, Melissa, can I have you read First Peter 2, 9-12, through please?
1: But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy uh, Okay, stop right there.
0: A holy, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy. a holy nation. This is talking about who? This is talking about the church. Okay, so look at the parallels. Okay, continue on.
1: A people for its own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorably, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation.
0: Alright, this text is so rich. It's saying that just like Israel, you're a kingdom of priests, you're a holy nation, and... Just like Israel, who was redeemed, who they were rescued out of this land of slavery. Everyone that belongs to the church, we've all been rescued from a land of slavery. We, once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. So we are all part of God's family. We're all God's people. Do you see the parallels between the church and Israel right here? Um, once we had not received mercy, but now we've received mercy... Um, we once were sojourners and exiles. Guess who was described as sojourners and exiles in the Old Testament? Israel, right? So, and also it talks about um, living a life that people, when they look at you, um, they 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 say, "Okay, something's different." We see this in verse twelve. Um, when people speak you uh, as speak against you as evildoers, may they at least see your good deeds and glorify God. <laughs> Um, so here here we are. Here's this imagery. Um, so we, the church, are, guess what? We're, we're, uh, we're to be like Israel, but we'll push this a little bit further. Um, Ephesians 2, 11. Uh, Christine, can I have you read this long passage, please? Therefore, remember that at one
1: time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit.
0: Alright, thank you. Uh, what Do you guys see anything interesting? What was,
1: that was <laughs> Israel?
0: <laughs> the people of God were a dwelling place for God. They were a temple, but now God says, it's the church it's a temple. The church is where the, dwell, where the glory of God dwells. And again, we see this, the, this, the parallelism. Um, we were once alienated from this Commonwealth of Israel, uh, but now we're not. Now we're part of a Commonwealth of Israel. Um, again, we see this language. There, we, we used to be aliens, we used to be um, strangers, but we're no longer strangers. Guess who were aliens and strangers in the Old Testament? It was the Israelites. So, um, what we see here that the beginnings of the missionary movement in uh, Abraham, it's it's coming to it's it's hitting a much larger stage. So whereas the people in the Old Testament they considered themselves the Israelites, they considered themselves the sons of Abraham. God says. It's going to go global now. It's going to go beyond the nation of Israel. So this is the missionary work of God. So the church is to take the place. The church fulfills the role that Israel did. Whereas the whereas Israel they were to be uh, they were to be a testimony of God's work. Um, they were to live in a way that was separate from the rest of the world. The church does that now. And people looked at Israel and they said, "Okay, what kind of God do they have?" But the command for us, the church now, is to tell people what has happened. Um, I'm going i should have uh, hit this last point before I um, talked about this. But I'm going to have Carmen read uh, Isaiah 44, please.
1: This one will say, "I am the Lord's." Another will call him the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand. And name himself by the
0: name of Israel. Okay, so the nations in Israel are one. So, my uh, my kind of one of my main points today is that the na- that the church in Israel are one, and then this is something that uh, Michael uh, can probably expand on in a little bit. But then this is the main the main thing we want to hit today is kind of the missions aspect. So we're uh, we're not going to go too much into it. I'm sure that we'll have other opportunities in the future. But um, basically the. We ourselves are Israel now. We are, and this is called covenant theology. So this is, whereas we're talking about biblical theology, there's a a systematic type of thing where we would cover covenant theology. Okay, so anyways, so the church's purpose now is to showcase the work of God. Um, So that means that all of us, we all have our stories, right? We all have stories of how God has rescued us. Um, We know what God has done. And what do we do when we are um, telling our friends about our lives? When we tell them about what God has done for us. We are acting as missionaries. <laughs> we're, t- we're, we're telling the world, this is what God is. This is how he's treated me. And this is how he's rescued me. And in this sense, we are all missionaries. And we live in a way. This is, this is why um, we're called to be holy. And uh, what, is, what does holy mean? set apart just like the israelites who lived a life set apart from the rest of the world or to live a life that's set apart from the rest of the world so when they see us they're like why doesn't this guy why is this guy so generous why is this guy so loving why is this guy so committed to his church why is this guy so um strange and God says, because that's exactly what I called you to. I called you to live a holy life. You are a holy nation. You're a kingdom of priests that intercedes for people to God. You're to be a place where God dwells. So when they look at our lives, they, people will say, what kind of person is this? What kind of church, what, what kind of people meet at Marshall Elementary? Why are they so fill in the blank?" And it's because we're to perform the functions that Israel performed in the Old Testament. And in in this sense, this is how God can call us to uh, go and tell the world. Because the work is not done. So there's Abraham, this missionary movement started. And then here is the, uh, here's um, now. And then there are all these people who do not know that God is good. They don't know that God can rescue them they have they're, they're living in darkness just as we were and and the, the 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 whole bible is telling us um go and tell go and tell go and tell whereas in the old testament Israel was not there's no explicit command for the Israelites to go and tell others about God um, now for the new testament for the church God's telling you go and make disciples go to the nations and tell them what I've done and um this is uh, this is there's there's just so much work to be done. There are uh, the majority of the earth does not know that God is good. Um, the majority of the, of the earth does not know they don't know the goodness of Jesus. God isn't famous in in so many countries, and there's so many countries, especially in um, in the uh, in Asia and uh, a lot of the <coughs> Middle East, where the percentage of Asians is somewhere around. Point one percent. Maybe if there's a lot going on, maybe that's one or two percent Christian. Um, and even in a lot of developed countries, like I know, like Japan, it's it's about one or two percent Christian. And um, and uh, there, there's there's just the if 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 you look at the most uh, most generous liberal estimates, about one third to a quarter, uh, about a quarter to one third of the world is Christian. But then, even within those, w- even within those numbers, are cults. It's, uh, there are all these other people that call <laughs> themselves Christians, even though um, they don't know anything about the Bible, they don't have any church uh, community. Um, they go to church maybe on Easter. Um, these people that consider themselves Christians, but uh, so realistically, I think the number is a lot less than that. Which means that if there are, how, how many, are there like six point five billion people in the world now? Seven seven billion, so look at look at all these uh seven billion people on the earth right now that God says they need to know that God is good, they need to be rescued from their sins, and of this number, um, very, very few of these people are be- are gospel believers. Very few of these people have experienced the goodness of God and that's why God says, okay, you can't, you can't keep this to yourself. You have to tell others about the goodness of God. and in this way they will become sons of Abraham. How does this happen? God gave us the cross and it's with the cross of Jesus that he rescues all people and um, we're going to look at the the goal of the missions our last few minutes here. What do we do as missionaries? So, we are all, all of us are called to live or support um, the missionary movement of God. So, um, and this is the the great grand goal is not merely to guilt us into saying, oh, well, uh, I guess I should, I should support missions, or I I guess maybe one day I'll think about missions, maybe when uh, it's about time for me to retire. No, this is something that we're all called to. Um, and But we need to see what is the ultimate goal of missions, and instead of guilt driving us, we can see maybe there's something greater than that driving us. Okay, so um, I'll start again with Roxanne. Uh, Revelation 5, please.
1: And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its field, to you will slain, and by your blood you ransom people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth.
0: All right, thank you. So, people from every tribe and language and people and nation, and all of them have been made a kingdom and priest to our God. So one day there's going to be this the most amazing like worship concert ever, uh, and it's going to be every believer throughout time, black and white and yellow and purple and green and. just an unimaginable amount of people (laughs) singing the same song glorifying God and like I just don't like this is we're all going to be part of this like I don't know if you guys like can like imagine it I just like I don't know how to imagine it because my we we just need like higher imaginations but then this is the goal of missions is for people all these people uh, maybe people that are not even Christians yet that you know and God is saying, uh, let's be missionaries to these people. And they will sit, they will stand alongside you and worship with you. These, an unimaginable number of people. Um, so this is the goal of missions, that all nations would worship God. Um, Jeff, can I have you read the healing of the world? The, the world will be healed. The world will be brought back to what it was supposed to be. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the
1: peoples with equity. Uh, uh, let the heavens be glad and let them let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness.
0: Alright, so it's not only the people, but as God's story continues, um, you know, like trees were made to worship God, rocks were made to worship God. Um, There's this image that the Psalms give us that the trees are going to clap their hands for God. They're going to applaud God. And this is what the whole world is supposed to be doing, including nature, including the blades of grass. They're rising up and they're giving a standing ovation to God. And there will be a day when we will see, I don't know if it's literal or what, but we're going to see rocks screaming out to God and we're going to see trees clapping their hands and there's going to be the whales and the lions and the clouds and everything, just everything yelling out this, the loudest praises they have to God. And the work of the missionary is to bring the world to this place. So um, there's this this crazy huge book here he says actually social justice um slavery and economic oppression this is the work of the missionary um creation for the earth uh take care of the forest take care of the seas because they were created for the glory of god and part of missionary work is this idea this is this concept of holistic healing of everything, not only the salvation of souls, but the redemption of the whole earth, the redemption of, of of the ground and, and the trees and the the air that we breathe. Isn't that cool? It's like it's not only people, but it's like the whole like this. This uh, 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 there's this poet. His name is Gerard Manley Hopkins, and uh, he has this one line in one of his poems. He says, "The universe is charged with the grandeur of God. The whole universe is." bubbling over with this, with this desire, with this need. This is what they're created for, was to say, God is good. Not only people, but the whole universe. Okay, um, Lisa, can I have you read Colossians 119-20, please?
1: For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross.
0: Thank you. So it's because of what Christ did on the cross that all this can happen. Everything can be, can be made right because of the redemptive work of Christ on the, clo- on the cross. Everything on earth, on heaven, everything will be reconciled. Everything, um, reconciled means that a relationship is made right. So if something isn't working properly with God, if something isn't connecting properly with God, um, it needs to be reconciled. And because of what Christ has done, it can be done. Um, and then last verse, Harry, can you read uh, Ephesians two, please for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one hand and has broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. That he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Alright, thanks. So, part of missionary work is to restore uh, relationships amongst people as well. So, we see this This might be amongst ethnic groups that hate each other, like, oh, well, you know, here's like these people with like their mohawks, we hate them. We, we believe in people with like shaved heads, and <laughs> I don't know, I'm just a complete example. But um, if you look at missionary stories, you'll see that there are villages that like are at war at each other, mm-hmm. and then, um, and and uh, and and maybe a missionary goes to a village and they say they they preach the gospel to them, and um and then they're like, okay, we know the gospel, and then something happens where one person will say, I will love my enemies as Jesus told me. I'm going to go to this other other um village and I'm going to tell them the gospel, and the people go, oh no, we hate you, and they kill this guy, and then someone else from the village goes and he says. Um, Jesus tells us to love our enemies I'm going to be a missionary I want to tell them the the gospel and the same thing happens um, and through time this other village might accept the gospel they might believe the gospel and the two warring the two warring uh, parties the two warring villages will come together and go because of what Christ has done he's reconciled people to each other and that can happen on a large scale it can happen on a small scale so maybe there are people that we hated maybe we hate them now um, but maybe we can love them as Jesus told us to, and part of loving them is to be a missionary to them and maybe be, one day there's nothing else there's nothing else that we're bringing together except the cross of Christ. So this is a very brief summary of the the, uh, the um, biblical theology of missions. Um, there's a lot more to say um, and the reason why I didn't say it is because I think other lessons would, or other people might cover things like more practical things like what can we do? How do we support missionaries? Um, let me just uh, I referred to this last week Matt Papa um, just go go to YouTube and type in Matt Papa reward and uh, it's called The Reward but it's a song about missions and it's a song about uh, these guys that gave up their life for missions and uh, any questions, comments? okay I will close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for um, saving us, for making us sons of Abraham. We thank you that the missionary story begins all the way with your promise to to Abraham. And we thank you that now we can be sons and daughters of Abraham, God. And we thank you that um, you've given this message to us. And I pray that you would somehow uh, give us a, a heart for, for missions and perhaps one day even that you would send out missionaries from IGC, God. So, We pray these things in Jesus' name and we ask for your hand to be upon us as we worship together as a family in a few minutes in the other room, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.